Are you a small business owner looking to take your business to the next level? Are you interested in starting a business but don't know where to begin? Welcome to the Source Capital Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs gain a better understanding of the capital raising process and help them get the funding necessary to start and grow their business. I'm your host, Corey Townsend, and I help people start and grow businesses. Use those businesses to create and manage wealth and use their wealth to establish and preserve their legacy. My friend, how are you? Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for being on. You are the inaugural guest. Oh. That's right. You're the first. (laughs) That's wonderful. Even better. Right. There you go. I'm special. You should. You are special. We go way back in the small business lending game. Oh, we do. We do. I was looking at your profile and saw when you got into SBA lending. It was like 2014. And I was like, I know, Corey, that long. That's I a know, long right? time. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. I know, because they say that when you have a fun. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. We've been doing this a long time. I've been in it since 2006. Oh, wow. Okay. I was a young buck. I know you very well, but let's start with where you're from and where you grew up, what that was like. My family is from Panama. That's Central America. I don't know if anyone's heard of Panama Canal and... Noriega, <laughs> Panama Jack, Panama Papers. My parents are from there. Not the rapper, the other Noriega. Yeah, yeah, not the rapper. <laughs> Even though, shout out to Noriega, I love him. But that's where my parents are from. And my sister and I are the first generation here in the United States. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, in Crown Heights. My mom was a banker and my dad was also a banker. My parents actually migrated here when my mom was a teenager and my dad was grown. And then my sister and I grew up here when we moved to Cali for a little bit. And then after Cali, we ended up here in Georgia. Most of my time as an adult has been in Georgia. And even high school and shaping those developmental years have been in Georgia. But I always claim a New York state of mind. I didn't really go to a special college or anything. I know Georgia is like a college state, but I just went to school for like two years. And then I was always on a hustle. I appreciated school, higher education and all of that, but I'm a doer and I'm not shy to say that I'm smart. So I can figure things out. My parents are educated. They went to college. But for me, I just wanted to get out there and get on the pavement, get experience teaches them. I think that there's more than one way to success. It doesn't always have to be through school. Now, if you want to be a doctor, scientist, something like that, attorney, different story. You need to go to school. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because, as you know, because you worked in banking for a long time, I work with bankers now who are where I am are further along in their banking career than I am that have no college experience whatsoever. And I had that opportunity when I was in college. I'll date myself a little bit, but as a Gen Xer, the thing that was drilled into your head was you got to go to college because that's the only way to get ahead. And here I am some 30 years later, and I'm surrounded by people who are running banks or presidents of banks or CEOs of banks or high producing lenders that don't have college experience. So I think you make a great point and you are a testament to the fact that you don't necessarily have to go 
to college in order to build a successful business and be successful? Yeah, for sure. I think that book smart and actually going through the process are two different ways of learning. And I think if you have the opportunity to get both, that's even better because there is good things that go with going to school. For example, finance is something that you learn in school. You learn about banking and things like that. So that is helpful in small business lending and even starting your own business. But to me, most of what you need is learning how to survive and be resourceful as a small business owner or any type of business owner. Being problem solvers, if you don't know the answer, knowing where to get it, being resilient. There are a lot of people that have gone to school and they can't take a no. So that's important skills that people need to remember that they count for something. And you'll be surprised the people that have gone through the most without going to school, that have gone through the most, having to balance, navigate through life, going through different lifetimes just in one increment of time where people may have not done it in two lifetimes. Those are the people that are successful because they're resilient. So I think that that makes a big difference to resilience and believing in yourself. Sounds cliche, but when you actually step out and go into business and you don't have a paycheck, (laughs) if you can make it through that and still be standing, that is commendable, seriously. And then once you get through that phase, then you actually got to make some profit because if you ain't making a profit, then it's a hobby, really and truly. It's a hobby. So. You can't pay your bills from it. It's a hobby. I get a lot of referrals from like the SBDC, small business owners or aspiring small business owners who want to do the idea. They have a great idea, but they can't take it from the idea phase to an actual manifestation of something. And that happens when you quit your job and go do it 100%. Yeah. So... Have you always wanted to be a banker? Was that sort of the plan early on? I want to be a banker or? No, I always wanted to be a business owner. My mom was always a banker. So that's all I saw. She worked in Twin Towers. She worked at Dean Witter, Merrill Lynch. So I saw her wear her heels and dress up in nice clothes and come home with a lot of shopping bags from Manhattan. So that was nice. It was nice to see my mom. She was very tall and very elegant, well-spoken person. And I would go to her job and go all the way up those tall skyscraper buildings. I can remember all those things and all her coworkers being very nice to me. And my kids come here now and it's the same thing, except I tell them I'm coming to my job. They know I'm the owner, but I like to give them that perspective because I'm an owner operator. So I want them to understand that I work just as hard as the team that I've secured. So. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced as an entrepreneur? How many can I count? List as many as you like. Okay, I'll tell you a few. I left my job cold turkey. Went from being a senior underwriter and called my husband up, told him, I'm tired of these people. (laughs) I'm ready to go. I'm done with this. I'm ready to pursue my dream. And he was very supportive and liquidated his retirement and gave it to me and told him to go do it because I had been pondering on it. And I would say that one of the most difficult things is when all those recruiters would call me, you know, oh, Tiomata, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm, you know, I started LSP. And, oh, that's nice. Let me know when you're done with that so I can place you. I have a job. They're looking for 
a senior underwriter and they're starting out at 110. Full benefits, remote. You don't have to do all those Tyson offers. And the fact that they kind of dismissed what I was doing, it gave me fuel at the same time, even though it made me feel like, oh, these people don't take me serious. They don't think I'm going to make it. I was a little salty from that. But at the same time, I looked at it as, what? They don't think I can make it? Okay, I'm going to show them. So it served dual purpose. And I think that not turning around and saying, this is a lot more than I thought it would be. And so that's why I think having some pride is good because then for moments like that, we're like, I'm going to make you eat those words. You know what I mean? But I think that that was one of the hardest, hardest things was not coming to those enticing offers because I had made it to a point where I could demand good money. And I really could do that, but I wasn't truly happy inside because I'm a good subordinate, but at the end of the day, I'm also a righteous person. And there's no place for a righteous person in corporate America. You know, people say, I'm about that life. I'm about that light. I'm walking the light. And I ran into a lot of situations where my light was dim in corporate America. So I would say that the hardest part is not going back to the comfort zone that I knew I could survive in and make good money in and take care of my family. That to me was the hardest part. Let's see what other hard part would be not knowing where your paycheck would come from, knowing that you operate from two household incomes and you're only operating on one. It's like not being full throttle, you know, having one cylinder running and one down because I have children. I have to take care of them. I have a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, but I'll say that they were very supportive with me. And I think that it taught them a lot of, you know, they got to see that grind of starting it from nothing, an idea, not having money to pay things, not being able to shop like I normally do. They saw that progression, me all the way reset to ground zero and build it back up after I had built up to a certain extent. So. I'm appreciative of those times and those humble beginnings. And I've had a business before it and had to close it down and start over. I used to love fashion. I still love fashion, but fashion wasn't paying the bills. I had to close the boutique <laughs> and start over. My kids were too little. only had seen me at that time when I had to do that. But now all three of my kids, they are like little boss babies. My daughter and my nine-year-old, they're like little boss babies. Like They're like, oh. You have any meetings today? You talk to any banks? Did you get any contract signed? And I'm like, I feel like I'm walking into a board meeting, the boardroom. <laughs> we've known one another for a long time because we've worked together. And I remember you were instilling that entrepreneurial spirit and see me even back then, because I remember some of the projects that he had going, the YouTube channel and all those sorts of things. So I got it honest. You were working on that even before you started your own business. So. Absolutely. It's very important because the kids need to know they have options. They got options. It doesn't have to be what society says it can be. And speaking of which, on I'm trying to put together a youth summit. And in that youth summit, those are some of the things that we're going to talk about is just teaching kids to brand themselves, making your own seat at the table, not waiting for someone to give you a seat at the table. And that's beyond color. That's just period. You know, as being, we don't have to wait on anyone. You know what I'm saying? So you can create your own destiny, your own boardrooms, 
I was just having that conversation on LinkedIn, this women's empowerment group. And one woman was mentioning how, have you heard of the glass ceiling? The idea of the glass ceiling, it was a Forbes article. Okay, they were talking about the glass ceiling and people of color, how, you know, they can only get so far in corporate arena and whatnot. And one of the things or many of the comments were about society not allowing us to elevate in corporate America. And that doesn't even manifest in my brain. Allow, that word does not manifest in my brain. And I make it so that my sons, it's already, my daughter came out like that. She's like literally stamped from me. She came out like, what? Allow rules, huh? She's straight girl power. But I want my sons to understand that as well. Growing up brown, they're going to tell you, oh, we're brown, we can only get so far. Oh, you're not educated. Oh, you're not this, you're not that. Everyone wants you to check off these boxes when you can make your own box and check it off yourself. So, yeah, I instill that in my kids so that that broken mindset needs to be obsolete at some point. We cannot continue to just tell us what the hurdles are. We know that. We know what the hurdles are. (laughs) We're aware of it. But each person has to do one, two, three things in their lifetime to make it better for their children. And so that Youth Summit idea, I want my kids to participate in it. My son, Rafiq, he has his own little business called Rafiq Lemonade. He does little events and festivals. And my son, he likes to buy old IBM keyboards from the 80s, take them apart, put them back together, do a YouTube video on it. Do it. He has the whole setup. Do it. If you're going to do it, don't halfway do it. Do it and make sure you do everything you can. Make sure that you're really giving it all you got. And then if you don't like it, you can change your mind and do something else. Yeah. Well, I know that from being a BDO and sending you deals with you as my underwriter. You don't accept halfway. <laughs> you know that. And that's what I used to tell everybody. I told my team here, I said, let me tell you something. That guy right there, clean deal. You don't have to worry about it. He's going to have everything you need, all those lines. You want to know why? Because I trained him. I told him I can't take this deal like this, Corey. Take this back. No, you used to give me some good deals. And because you got to come correct. You got to come correct, especially when if you have an underwriter that's a deal killer, that's a different story. But you and I were a partner on each deal. I wasn't about, oh, just because I can, I'm going to find everything wrong with the deal. Those are people that don't need to be an SBA underwriter because those are people on the side of that paperwork. Those are people with dreams you're holding in your hand in that application. So you cannot be a deal killer just because you can. And I've come across a lot of people that appreciated that now that have helped me, even you, when I opened my LSP because I took that attitude. I took that mindset towards my work. I got SBA direct. Now people are referring banks. Hey, that she used to be my underwriter or, hey, I know she can get this deal done. Because every deal I took, I handled it like if it were my cousin or someone who needed to get their loan taken care of and needed someone who actually cared about whether or not they understood what was going on. I have people reaching out to me that I underwrote their deal. They found me on LinkedIn. <laughs> it was like, hey, you underwrote my first SBA deal, like the borrowers. What? How did you find me? The power of social media. But yeah. yeah. It comes back to you tenfold. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because one of the objectives of this podcast is to help people get a better understanding of what the 
underwriting process is about and why they can sometimes struggle in it. Because as you and I both well know, we often send a laundry list of things that we need. And you know, and I know the response we get most often is, why do you need all this? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I try to explain to people, because I approach every client that I have in the same way that you do, right? These people are trying to get started and get some level of financial independence like you talked about earlier, and they need help. That's why they come to us. So you kind of have to walk them through the process, but they often push back on, well, why do you need this? Why do you need that? And everybody doesn't work like us. And what they don't seem to understand is that if your package is not clean, some underwriters won't even look at it. Mm -hmm. And so if you could talk a little bit about the process, because I think that we talked a little bit about that, and I think it'd be a great segue into what you're doing now in your business. People ask me this question often. I actually did a webinar at the last quarter about this specific topic, about why can't my deal get through the pipeline with the underwriter. And I would say one of the main things that people don't do is read. That is so important. Reading is fundamental. Have y'all heard of that? Reading is fundamental. And that is so true. People don't follow the direction and underwriters get annoyed by that because they're dealing with so many. The least thing they want to remember is your package being jacked up. You know, it needs to be in order. So I would say reading the instructions of the application is key. Not having your taxes in order, like your business taxes and your personal tax, that is a major holdup because you can't get an SBA guarantee if you can't verify the income that we're underwriting from. So that is a major piece. Having your broker do all of the work is not a good idea. You need to be engaged with your transaction because your broker does not care. (laughs) Even if they tell you they do, most of the time they have multiple transactions going on. It would behoove you to have some type of dialogue with the bank so that you know what's going on with your loan. Another thing would be your cash injection. Make sure your cash injection, the skin in the game, the money you're putting into the project is already where it needs to be when you're starting your application. So when I say that, I mean, you've already injected it, like you've already put a down payment and you can prove it, or you have to bring money to closing, you put that money in your business account and we can tell where it came from. Those, to me, are major hangups in getting funding for SBA. And then I would say not seeking out proper technical assistance before you approach the bank. Mm -hmm. That is another thing because bankers don't have time to walk you through transactions, even though they have goals to achieve. They have goals in their sales. So if you're not taking advantage of scores, or an SBDC, or some other type of free technical assistance. SBA.gov has so many videos that you can watch, templates. They have so many resources. Then they have places like the Women in Business Centers. Take advantage of those free technical assistance so that by the time your deal gets to the bank, at least the salesperson, if the salesperson doesn't think your deal is put together, you're really not going to get to the underwriter. Right. Those are my tips. Those are great points. So 
let's talk a little bit about what you do now, because it's very much the same as the things you just talked about in terms of the package and making sure that you present your opportunity to the bank in the best light. And I kind of want to tie that into something that you said earlier when you said you felt like, okay, this is it. I'm starting my own business. Because I think a lot of people feel that way. They're frustrated with their nine to five. They are at their wit's end and they're ready to leave, but they don't necessarily have the right concept or the right business to start. So how did you decide to do SBA Direct? I know you said that you started with a boutique at one time and things didn't work out like you planned with that. So how did you land on SBA Direct? And tell us a little bit about SBA Direct, what you do, that sort of thing. Well, I'm always a believer in sticking to what you know. So if you know something and you can capitalize from what you know, versus trying to go figure something new out and start a business. I don't recommend that unless you're young. You know, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not 20. I'm not 25. So I think that it depends on where you are in life, what you want to start in your business. I already gave it a try starting something that I knew nothing about by opening my boutique. And I learned a lot from it. And I had two different locations. So I did learn something. And now when I do it, I want to do it again, to be honest with you. But I wouldn't do it in the same way. But I just love fashion. So I would do it in a more online slash pop-up store type way. But I think that it all depends on where you are in life and sticking to what you know. Another part of it was I saw a problem that needed to be fixed. I didn't like how SBA shops were run. There was a lot of inequitable things going on in SBA shops that I felt was a detriment to the community, which is what the program is for. The program is not designed for people that can walk in and get eight paper loans. The program is designed for those who cannot. And I saw a lot of people who actually need the loan get glossed over because they don't have the status quo. And that's not right. And I felt like with starting SBA Direct, not only could I fulfill my own dreams, using something that I already spent 15 years learning, but I could also change the outlook of where the program was going as it relates to the purpose of it. Also, the third piece was I acknowledged that the SBA talent pool is getting older. People that are doing SBA lending are in their 50, 60, 70 range, and there's no one churning for new talent, new people. They're just using the same old people. And then if you think about the maturation of the industry and where it needs to reset, once talent pool gets too expensive, they're just like, you know what? I'll just do a paper loans. I'm not paying you $200,000 to be my lead underwriter. I'm just throwing a number out there. But it's going to be ridiculous to the point where SBA departments are not going to be affordable for banks or not worth it. So it was important to start something that had a fresh, innovative, modernized approach to SBA lending to where I could solve a community problem and at the same time replenish the pool with fresh minds, people that don't look at all of those buckets anymore. That time is over with. Those checking off boxes, that's becoming obsolete. And so we have to have the right talent to provide the service needed for the community that is being shaped today, not 30 years ago. 
Yeah, and you raise a great point. So when we talk about SBA shops, we're talking about commercial banks mostly. There are some private companies that do SBA lending, but we're talking about commercial banks that have set up an SBA department where they focus their energy on small business loans. And so I think that's a popular misconception in the community when you talk about doing an SBA loan is everybody thinks that, well, if you're getting an SBA loan, you're getting a loan from the government and therefore it should be super easy, right? Why can't I get this loan even though I don't have any down payment? I have a super low credit score. Right. Start a restaurant. Why can't y'all give me money? This is an SBA loan. And right. <laughs> to your point, it's important to have an SBA group and SBA lenders who are open to the world that's changing around us and don't have that same mindset that every transaction has to check off these boxes. Otherwise, we're not going to consider it. Exactly. And that's not fair. It's not getting the money where it needs to go. And another thing that I saw, which, you know, I'm passionate about the small loan program, because that's who needs that money. Yes, people that are open need $2 million loans, million-dollar loans, they need it too. You know, I'm not saying that they don't need it, but the bulk of the need is in that three fifty, three hundred fifty thousand and below bracket. And if you don't get that money there, the people that truly need these SBA loans are not going to have a chance at accessing it. Yeah, it's a really tough balance too, right? Because mm-hmm. from the bank's perspective, their thinking is, well, it takes us as much resources to process a $5,000 loan or a $50,000 loan as it does to yeah. process a $5 million loan. And so that's one of the fantastic things about your business and what you're doing because you're developing programs to make it easier for banks right. to process those transactions, review those transactions, and get comfortable with the credit risk associated with those transactions without right. investing the same level of resources that historically they would have for the larger $5 million transaction. So why don't we talk a little bit about that and some of the programs you're uh, implementing sure. with SBA Direct. Yeah, SBA Direct has a small loan program. It's a streamlined approach to loans that are 350 and below. It's a suite of services that we kind of put together from origination to closing for the lender to where the lender, all they have to do is get the application. All they have to do is get the borrower. We take it from there. This starts with a simple digital application, and that digital application goes into our team's pipeline, and they process the loan from underwriting to approval within three days, and then you can close it in the next two days. So it's designed to take, like, we from start to finish in seven business days total. However, there's caveats. The lender has to be committed to using certain benchmarks and their credit risk profile and all of that. But it is a great way to offer smaller loans to the community. And to me, you could even consider the CRA piece of it as a bank, running all those small loans through where they need to be. You could gain a lot of CRA credit that way as well. So it's platform, people, and publicity kind of put into one to make the process so And the banks can choose whether they want to be actually involved in the transaction or they just want to know when it's ready for them to approve and review. It's up to them. That's the small loan program. We soft launched it in the fourth quarter, but I'm really going to be full throttle in March when I go to GLQC 
Are you going to GLPC? I haven't decided yet. I talked with Cheryl about it probably a couple of weeks ago. You know, she was, I'm not sure if she still is, but she was on the board and she was telling me. Yeah, she's still on the board. I talked to her. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be in Asheville this year, I think in March. Yeah. Possibly. It just yeah. depends on the timing. I need to, let, when we talked about it, our call got interrupted, so I missed some of the details, but uh, possibly, because I've never been before. Yeah, I've not been to that either, and I heard that one is amazing in Asheville. Right. I'm going to go to that and promote the small loan program and okay. kind of get these Southeast lenders on board and see where it goes. So what would you say your biggest pet peeve is around loan packages, whether it be from someone like me, you know, a lender that's trying to get a loan approved or something in terms of a package you might get directly from some of the entrepreneurs that have reached out to you because you helped them before. What would you say your biggest pet peeve is about the packages that you get from them? I would say not telling me the hair up front on it. If you want me to help you, you need to be transparent. I'm not there to go call the SBA Secret Society Committee on you or something like that. I want to know what is wrong with this loan because there's something wrong with every SBA loan. So I think that my pet peeve would be not telling me, because I'll tell you one thing that happened to me about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, this lady brought a deal. And SBA Direct is not a broker, but we do get loans from borrowers and lenders who can't do the deal and know that we can take care of the borrower. But I had a lady who, she wanted to buy a building. She was referred to me. She didn't tell me she had been delinquent on a previous loan, on an SBA loan. Now, had she had told me that, we wouldn't have went anywhere. I would have been like, I can't help you right. because you got to make sure that that's paid in full and you show proof so that you're not popping up in cages. She did not bring that to the forefront. And I looked like I was the one being deceitful to the bank. Good thing the bank was like, oh, no, we know that you're not like that. We know that that's not the type of person you are. So that was a good thing. Thank God for reputation. But had I not had that rapport, that would have made me look like I was trying to pull some okie doke stuff. So that's one of my pet peeves is what is wrong with this deal? <laughs> what This is nice. It's set up nice. It's in the package nice. And, but what is wrong with it? My second pet peeve is people that don't know how to operate digitally. Like that whole printing out a package, let me drop it off to you. What? No, <laughs> here's a link. <laughs> That's one thing I'm like, no, please don't bring no packages by because I won't know where the paperwork is. We keep a paperless workstation here at SBA. <laughs> but yeah, those are my two peppies. I'm with you on both of those, actually. But specifically for the first one, I often have to tell borrowers and entrepreneurs, look, my job is to help put your transaction in the best light possible to drag you across the finish line, right? Right. Because if you're coming to me, there's something wrong, right? I mean, that's the nature of SBA. I have your transaction in my hands because it's not eligible for conventional financing. So right. help me put your deal in the best light by telling me everything up front. Don't right. let me get your package to an underwriter. And then when they're doing their due diligence on it, they find something that you never told me about. And then otherwise, looking at you like, oh, right. You Corey, what did you tell me this? <laughs> right. I just bring this over here. So you start losing your credibility. And you, we both know SBA is a small community of bankers. And so y'all are some overpaid bankers. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but how can you start a relationship 
off of falsehood or keeping something from someone. That's not a good way to start out. So that to me is a big deal. Don't have me looking crazy or dishonest and don't be dishonest to me. So what would you say is a common myth about what you do as an underwriter or an entrepreneur? Something that people think they know about your job, but it's clearly not true. I would say that they think that we're there just to kill the deal. Mm. I think that a lot of people think that. A lot of people are afraid of underwriters. They rather the broker talk to you because underwriters have this stigma like they're mean or unapproachable or just want to find something, trip you up to kill your deal. And I'm actually completely opposite from that. So I would say that that's a misconception, a myth. And then as a small business owner, I would say people like your peers, like your friends, they don't quite understand that you're really working. Like, I'm not just off. Right. You know what I'm saying? They'll call you up and be like, what you doing? I'm like, it's 9 a.m. I'm working. Girl, you know you're not working. Yes, I am. I literally am working. I Don't you hear the keys going? You know, they think you're just chilling. Right. And so because your time is not on the rat race, per se, people don't think you're, you know, like my kids will say, mom, can you pick me up early today? No, <laughs> I'm going to pick you up at your normal time. Well, you're not going to be doing anything. Yes, I am. I am doing something. <laughs> That's to me the misconception. Yeah. Like I'm doing something. I just make it look easy. Right. Meanwhile, I'm like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Trying to get stuff back right. before they get off of school. <laughs> <laughs> just last question. Where would you like to see SBA Direct in the next five years? And where do you think small business lending will be in that period as well? I would like to see SBA Direct acquire a building in the next couple of years. And I would like to see SBA Direct have multiple locations across the country. And I would also like to see SBA Direct open up small business lending opportunities to Puerto Rico and be able to allow them access and banks that will actually take them serious. The program's open to all of the American territories in the United States and Puerto Rico's part of that. There's no reason why that they cannot, you know, when I brought one deal and this gentleman is to this day, I got him funding two and a half years ago. To this day, he writes me emails. And it was a 30-year-old business in Puerto Rico. He purchased it from a family friend. It was a typical SBA change of ownership. The man was getting older. He was like 80 years old. And he trusted those young men. They were in their 30s. And they were Puerto Rican. And they lived in Boston. One lived in North Carolina. And they traveled back and forth to get this business transition. Perfect business. Couldn't get any lender to take one look at it. They had taxes, everything. It was legit. Everything was good. But because it was in Puerto Rico, it was like it was in space, even though it's eligible. So I am very committed to opening up more small business lending to the Latino culture and doing it through SBA Direct and allowing them to realize that they can they can take advantage of it as well, not just for everyone except them. So I would like the Latino culture to be more exposed to SBA lending. And I think that doing that through Puerto Rico first is a great way to jumpstart it. 
There's great coffee in Puerto Rico. I don't know about USDA, but I mean, what? come on, what are we doing here? There's so many things that could be done in Puerto Rico that I'd like to be a part of. So yeah, I would say acquire a building, open up multiple locations. My youth summit, I would love to see the youth summit be five years strong and actually creating little SBA people and little small business entrepreneurs. So I think that community outreach is big for me. The youth is huge for me. Anybody that knows me knows I'm passionate about that. So I'm going to use SBA Direct to reach the youth and to churn that mentality, churn those opportunities for those young. He ain't got nothing else to do. He can come on over and be an intern, be my IT guy, you know, (laughs) in five years. So I got a lot of plans for SBA Direct, all of which I can, my hands, I can get to it. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, obviously, you know, if I can do anything to help, by all means, let me know. And I greatly appreciate the time today. I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I think. Yes, I enjoyed it. It was so fun. You got to invite me back when you're like all the way into a probably like 50,000 audience level. And you got all these Atlanta people, all these great, awesome people on there. And then you just bring me back for a reunion. Because you're the first one. Exactly that. I mean, that's how it goes. You know, you got to pay homage, humble beginning. You know what I'm saying? So I would love to come back and let me know when this post is so I can tell everybody about it. Share it. All right. We'll do. So, last before I let you go, where can people find you? Social media, the interweb, everything. On LinkedIn, you can find me at linkedin.com slash SBA Direct. On Facebook, facebook.com slash SBA Direct. Other than that, you can find me on sbdirectaccess.com. That's our website. And our phone number is 800-513-6612. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to the Source Capital Podcast, where we focus on helping small business owners because we believe entrepreneurship is the best path to self-reliance, self-determination, and self-ownership. I'm your host, Corey Townsend. For more information, check us out at YourSmallBusinessBanker.com or at YourSmallBusinessBanker on Instagram or Facebook. And remember, as legendary cartoonist Walt Disney used to say, think beyond your lifetime if you want to do something truly great.